Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be reviewing tonight is Greed by Dan O'Shea. A little bit about the author. Dan O'Shea is a Chicago area writer. His first two thrillers, Penance and Greed, will be published by Exhibit A. This is a little bit on the old side, as you can see, because we've already reviewed Penance and we are now re- uh, reviewing Greed. Uh, drawing on Chicago's settings and history, the novels explore the city's history of corruption, but with a national, even international flavor. Dan is also the author of Old School, a collection of short fiction published by Snub Nose Press. Dan would be a handsome gent if he could just stop breaking his nose. And stop wearing that reading jacket. <laughs> that reading jacket is something. It is. Before we get on to talking about the book, can we talk about what a special day today is? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a twofer. Rob and I, um, mostly because we have no lives, um, wind up recording a lot of these podcasts on holidays. So today is Groundhog's Day. That's right. And it's the NFL um, championship game as well. Yeah, the... Uh... Are we? What's what the fuck is up with that? By the way, I don't even because I don't follow sports. I don't understand why you can't like people can't say the name of the event. Well, I, here's here's what I think it is. So to, to be quite honest, and it, it's the Super Bowl. I think that what the NFL was getting pissed about was people using it. Like for example, if we were to say like this episode is the Super Bowl of booked, you can't uh. say that. But you could talk gotcha. about it because they want people to talk about it because obviously they want people to watch it. But you can't use that event. Like, you know, they had like the, the like the dogs. They they have like the Super Bowl of dogs or, you know, I mean, like that kind of thing. I think that's gotcha. really what they were looking for was to eliminate. <laughs> like the NFL is the douchebag of sports outlets. Exactly. So okay. that's, yeah. So we haven't coined douchebag yet, but maybe we should because a lot of people use it. That's true. That's true. And then we could sue everybody when they're making fun of the NFL for being stupid. All right, I've got to break in with a with an important announcement about the Super Bowl. Um, here's an update: the game is still going on. <laughs> Wait, okay. So when did it start? <laughs> <laughs> two hours and twenty two minutes ago. Oh, all right. Yeah, I, I saw someone post something about uh, the half the halftime. I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers were playing. Mm. Which I'm not a fan. That's yeah. That's um. That's very 1996 of the Super Bowl people. I don't know. When were the Red Hot Chili Peppers big? Uh, yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. A long, long time ago. <laughs> that one so, year. Yeah. So, uh, any rate. But, um, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about greed. There might be further um, break-ins. Um, you know, because we want to keep our listeners updated on what's going on with the football game. So, um, <laughs> just warning you guys now. <laughs> All right, here is the synopsis for Greed. Ex-Marine Nick Harden heads back from a decade in Africa to his hometown, Chicago, with $100 million in blood diamonds stolen from an Al-Qaeda financing pipeline. His retirement plan? To cash out through a Chicago Mossad contact and head for the beach. But soon, Harden's stuck in Chicago with diamonds he can't sell and a series of hitmen, mobsters, and a Washington off-the-books black ops team on his tail. The resulting body count leaves Chicago detective John Lynch trying to find connections among the victims while simultaneously solving the murder of a dead infectious disease expert who drafted a biological weapons plan that could turn Chicago into a ghost town. Pretty light on plot there. Yeah, there's a, there's a, <laughs> just a little bit of stuff going on in this book. Can we, just for a second before we even get into this, um, so we read... Penance, which was the first John Lynch book last year. Did you get the even before I read the synopsis, even more so now, but did you get the feeling that Lynch wasn't the main character in this book as you were reading it? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, a little bit, yeah, because that Nick Harden character was uh, so so prominent, yeah, and at the forefront for sure. Yeah, it definitely felt to me like O'Shea was looking at a, at a second protagonist, you know, having a new protagonist, but kind of like Lynch being the tie-in Right. If that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. like a co-tagonist. What? It I have another update on the Super Bowl. The yeah. game is still going. Did they? Do you know if they're gonna? All right. So the big thing for me today, besides six more weeks of winter, was the whole Philip Seymour Hoffman thing. Yes. Is that we? I don't think we count that as like a holiday, right? Well, no. I mean, like, but it's just. I mean, it's a significant event. 
Yeah, here's Livia Snedden with breaking news. Philip Seymour Hoffman found dead in his apartment just a few short hours ago. Kind of sucks, dude. That does kind of suck. Apparently heroin. I I never understood, and I know that we're way off track here, but (laughs) I never quite got it. It's the same thing like with rappers. Like You wind up being worth like $200 million, yet you still drive around in a car like shooting out a window at at rival rappers or gang members or, or, or whatever. Never quite get that. You'd think that there'd be something better than heroin once you're, you know, world famous celebrity. Like a like a drug that's only available to the rich. Dude, like anything. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. here, here's the whole thing. Heroin is one of those few drugs that is never ever portrayed in a glamorous in a glamorous way. Have we had this conversation on the show before? I don't think so. All right. If you like like watch a movie on people who are like on crystal meth, like they're buzzing around, like cleaning their house, getting a bunch of stuff done, there's like a certain appeal there. <laughs> you know, women get really skinny on it. Like I could see that. If you ever watch anything about like, you know, a, a show where there's, you know, the club kids and they're all on ecstasy and it's a bunch of like crazy sex and they're all dancing and, you know, that looks like fun. Heroin is always a guy drooling on himself with a needle hanging out of his arm. Yeah, and he's got, like, long hair and doesn't take baths and stuff. Well, yeah, it, there's never anything appealing <laughs> about it. So I don't really get how, how you get on it. And I guess if you're, you know, whatever, underprivileged or, or, or whatever. But Hoffman, you know, I, I don't think got to the point where he is in his career by being a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. Which would lead me to believe that that started after the fame and fortune. And here's critical the, acclaim. Yeah. Well, here's the thing for me. I... Having been reading or finishing up reading um, the the Dan O'Shea book today, mm-hmm. everything is conspiracy theory for me. So, like, I hear Philip Seymour Hoffman's dead in his apartment from heroin. He's never in the in the you know that I've ever heard of been known for drug use. Like you, you kind of said, mm-hmm. obviously it's a cover up of some kind. Like he was a secret operative for some agency and. This is uh, someone putting them out, putting them out to pasture, and making it look like it wasn't uh, related to any kind of, you know, secret goings on. See, this makes so much more sense than what I had said about him just overdosing on heroin. I'm glad you, I'm glad you straightened me out yeah. on that because I'm, be I'm, like, I'm totally into that. It's like Elvis. Remember Elvis wanted to mm-hmm. be an FBI agent or whatever. Yep. Uh, was it? F- yeah. Yeah. Federal marshal. I don't was remember. It? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know it's goddamn, goddamn cool is what it was. <laughs> Gonna win this race. There. So, uh, anyway, um, that was your breaking news. Breaking news. Third quarter football game still going. The football. Mm-hmm. Did uh, is it is Hank Williams Jr. still involved in that, or did he move on? Do you know? Involved with what? Uh, he used to do that football, the Monday Night Football song. I thought. Oh yeah, I have no idea. All right. Well, let's talk about something we do know something about. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, the book starts out. Uh, it, it's a little bit different than than the last one because the, the the first book, the the penance, started out basically with a bit of Chicago history, um, it involving uh, activists and like kind of the corrupt Chicago police and. And, and covering up a, a murder and everything like that. So this time it starts out more or less in the present day with some flashbacks to earlier on. But the focus is Nick Harden, who is a, a former, was it Marine, right? Former Marine turned a French Foreign Legion. Yeah. And um, after getting out of those services, uh, he ended up basically in Africa as kind of a go-to guy for making things happen and, and, and stuff like that. Basically taking out the trash for rich people that wanted to, to things to happen in Africa. So um, he gets he gets the idea to knock over the, this uh, group of people, these Al-Qaeda people, take their diamonds, and uh, that's going to be his, his retirement plan. He's cashing out and, and moving on, and the diamonds are going to be what makes that possible. So um, that's, that's where we start out. That's the original plan, and obviously it doesn't go quite as smoothly as uh, he had expected it to. But I really like the reason it didn't, because he was expecting to get a certain amount of diamonds, and he got like ten times that many, which made it a, a much more high-profile um, crime against Al-Qaeda, but also like much more difficult to um, unload his, uh, his haul. 
Yeah, so he, he makes it to Chicago to um, touch base with a contact he has, and there's a whole kind of elaborate political thing that goes on with how he can get rid of these diamonds. Um, but sh- shortly, very shortly after he meets with his contact, his contact turns up dead, which uh, puts him out, um, you know, of uh, you know the financing part of his $100 million uh, transaction or his $100 million worth of diamonds. And... Uh, we kind of go from there. So this book, as you may have been able to tell from the synopsis, um, has a fairly huge cast of characters, um, as there's somebody from almost every criminal element known to man involved in some way, <laughs> shape, or form. Um, I doubt we'll be able to talk about all of them or, or keep all their names straight, but um, one of the other important ones is uh, is uh, a man named Aldeen, or Aldeen, um, as being a last name in some foreign language. But he's basically uh, the hitman that's kind of on Harden's tail, and, and he's here in the States kind of doing a bunch of other things, too. And he's uh, certainly one of the more interesting characters in the in the book. Yeah, I liked him a lot. He was just uh, all business, really good, and it, they have your back. Like, at some point, you get his backstory of how he, you know, originated. Um, he was a Palestinian who, uh, when he was a kid, um, excelled at, I guess being violent or whatever so um we got to see his backstory of how he, he started to earn his reputation as being like very deadly and ruthless um by attacking um like israeli guards on a border and murdering four people and blowing up their tank and stuff so um interesting dude and just like yeah ruthless and efficient like in that way where it's like yeah you you respect um the way the dude does business but he's just like a terrible terrible person well yeah and the interesting thing was that it, it would have i imagine been very easy for o'Shea to go with him being a, a you know an, an Allah fearing you know kind of terrorist who's doing it all for the cause but really he, he's not he, he he only does the stuff he gets paid for so even though he does some work for hezbollah and, and al-qaeda and, and comes from that region of the world he has been softened up by American tastes. So, you know, he likes expensive wine and nice clothes and women and stuff. So now he's basically just doing it to get paid, which which makes him even more interesting, in my opinion, than kind of the mindless religious zealot. Yeah, for sure. That, that's out, you know, doing these things in exchange for, you know, 20 virgins in heaven or whatever. <laughs> and you got, um, you've got the, what did they say in the synopsis? The off the books black ops team Mm -hmm. led by a dude named monroe which i didn't double check but did we see him in penance or no um i believe monroe was the guy that took over for the other guy that was running it right that's what i thought too yeah yeah Yeah, he was he was kind of a subordinate in the the first one but now he's he's the the top dog and the the idea with monroe and his team is essentially like he is like the big, like a big, big up in the government, in a in an agency or in a position within the government that doesn't exist, and um, his overall goal is the security of the nation, and he kind of operates outside the law and does things that you know aren't necessarily very legal, but he makes he makes it happen. He gets things done. So um, when the whole diamonds thing starts to to rattle around, and for uh, various other reasons, he is drawn to Chicago to try and uh, assess what's going on and figure out the best play for, um, you know, for the government and for what he wants to do. And he kind of is proposed is not proposed. Um, and he realizes he's got an opportunity to tie a few things up together um, and really kind of make some momentum on, on fighting like the war on drugs and stuff. Uh, so. Um, it, it was interesting to see the progression and his interests and how he um, decided to take advantage of the situation. But he's as corrupt and criminal as any of the other characters in the book. But just, you know, in the interest of the government. Yeah, the interesting thing about Monroe and what makes him a great character, I think, is that he feels very um, justified in everything he does. Because um, he's kind of doing it for the greater good. So, you know, politics aside, if you take a step back, almost every step he takes logically is the right step for somebody in his position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Aldeed, on the other hand, you know, he winds up murdering and he racks up uh, quite the body count while he's in Chicago. And some of it's just brutal, like, you know, families of people because he's interrogating somebody. 
you know, kind of trying to get these diamonds. And Monroe's not quite like that. Um, there's a side to him that's that I find, you know, appealing and that he, he makes these these big, big decisions and kind of makes these big things happen. And, you know, if there's casualties along the way, there's casualties along the way. But I think that he tries to avoid that and only really does it when it's somewhat unavoidable. Mm-hmm. So he's got that unique position of being the person who's not concerned about protecting a town or a city or mm-hmm. even a state. But like hundreds of millions of people. So like the perspective is totally different and, and the decisions that you have to make when you're protecting a nation may seem heartless to someone, um, who isn't. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. But definitely one of the, one of the most interesting characters in, in this book. Yeah. Um, I guess we can keep talking about plot. There's lots and lots of plot to talk about. So, um, Basically, uh, I think we're going to try to do a little bit of a diagram of, of why everybody's after Harden. So, um, you know, we already talked about Aldine being after him, and obviously Monroe is after him because he has these diamonds. And more from a standpoint of he's afraid those diamonds are going to fall back into the wrong hands and be used to finance um, an attack on the United States that, you know, that, that dwarfs 9-11 in size. Um, you have a uh, an actor who going back to the introduction of Nick Harden some 10 years ago or whatever it was, um, Harden and him got into an altercation. Of course it wound up, you know, all over the TV and basically this actor kind of fell from grace. So he's kind of making his way back up when he notices Nick Harden is in town right on the eve of this actor kind of rising back to his, to his previous position. So he has interests in making Harden go away as well. Yeah. And he reaches out to uh, some friends. I guess he had been in Chicago previously for uh, the filming of a movie that was mob-based. And so, uh, not surprisingly, for that movie, um, they had a local mob guy, uh, last name Corsco, right? Mm -hmm. Was it Tony? Tony? I believe so, yes. Tony Corsco. Um, As a a script consultant on the movie, but... um, the the actor had kind of uh, grown to like Corsco because he had access to drugs and stuff, and Corsco had grown to like the actor because he had all these like young women fawning about him, and he had like the whole Hollywood glamour and everything. So they kind of struck up a uh, a friendship. So when uh, he needs to, you know, make Harden go away, he reaches out to Corsco, and he gets the the Chicago mob after him to try and uh, take him out so now you've got um <laughs> you've got the the al-qaeda element you've got um black ops government element and now we've introduced the chicago mob all going after the same guy let's not forget and i won't mention necessarily the reasons why but for <laughs> for reasons i won't discuss um the uh a mexican cartel becomes involved too <laughs> and is also after Harden. that's right and the um, cops, of course. I don't. Did we mention the police? The police are after him too. <laughs> we didn't mention the Chicago PD yet, but yeah. because of um, all the bodies are dropping in their city, um, they're investigating as well. So they're 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 after Harden in a much more, I think, altruistic way, mm-hmm. like um, just trying to you know solve crimes um, and seeing how he's he, he's involved. But uh, yeah, so a lot of people after this dude. One other character I want to mention because it's such a huge part of this. I'd like to talk about this a little bit because I find some things very interesting. Um, the the Chicago video system. I don't even know how else to say this. Mm-hmm. Plays like a huge role. Yeah, it plays a huge, huge role in this book. Kind of like its own, like its own character. So I've heard before that Chicago is one of these cities that has the one of the the most elaborate um, surveillance systems. You know, be it red light cams and access to ATM feeds and and all kinds of other stuff. But in this book, basically everybody we mentioned up until now has some kind of access and and this is how they are able to track people down. You know, it's a, it's, it's key to, you know, how Harden continues to run into issues with these different people. It's how the police in some cases, you know, can put a better handle on what's going on and try to locate people. But thing i found really interesting about this is probably 15 years ago dean Koontz wrote a book called dark rivers of the heart that at the time i thought was just absolutely 
sensational. I don't know if it would hold up reading it today, but that was one of the first times that I'd seen a, a writer um, use satellites for for the same kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know. So there's this guy and he's on the run with this girl, and there's a secret government agency that's like trying to track him down, and they're using um, all the satellite technology to find him. A couple things I found interesting. I'm not really sure if uh, if it's possible to do things in the way they happen in this book. This isn't the slight the books in the book. It's very believable. I just don't know that it's that easy for the police or anybody to kind of you know tap into these systems instantly and, and get information on people. But the thing that I found most interesting is for a while there was also that Enemy of the State movie with Will Smith and um, Gene mm. Hackman. Yep, yep. But it's funny that we've gone away from from the satellite tracking technology and we've gone into this kind of analog video cameras being able to track people it was almost like a step backwards in technology right <laughs> you, do you know what i mean like yeah. you would think that would have gone forward with satellites or whatever and I, i've seen this thing about you know using surveillance cameras if you watch the show elementary it happens frequently and in other you know various police type tv shows and stuff but it was a it was a very interesting thing, and I, I just wonder if you and I wound up on the you know most wanted list, would somebody be able to just kind of tap into red light cameras and security cameras and parking garages um, as simply and, and easily as it seemed they could in this book? Or no, all I gotta say is that if I'm ever on the run, I'm not too worried about it because as long as you have like a windbreaker and a baseball cap, you are invisible cameras that's what i've learned from watching tv everybody always gets away when they throw on a windbreaker and a baseball cap so now you live in in chicago you know proper do do you notice a lot of like surveillance cameras and stuff like at the (laughs) yeah no i mean do you really oh yeah okay i haven't spent a lot of time in chicago and in quite some time and i guess next time believe me after reading this book they're going to be like, why does this guy keep staring at the cameras? He's got to be up to something. He's going to be pointing at the cameras, like looking at them and pointing at another one. Yeah. Yeah, there's cameras. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, like if you're on a bus, like the one that just drove past my window, mm-hmm. those have cameras. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every bus is cameraed up. Oh, dude. I haven't been on a CTA bus in probably close to 20 years. Yeah. You're on a train. Um, I'm sure that, you know, taxis have, for security reasons, cameras inside of them. Um, ATMs, anytime there's like a um, like a red light camera or... And actually there's parts of the city that are um, photo-enforced speed limits areas. Mm-hmm. So if you're going above a certain, you know, speed in your car, like the cameras take a picture of you. So even like that kind of stuff happens as well. So there's cameras like literally everywhere. Dude, that's just crazy. Yeah. Kind of makes you feel watched. <laughs> kind of makes me happy I live in the burbs. Oh, that's, it happens in the burbs, too. Come on. <laughs> You're taking that pace bus to work, Olivia. Don't, don't fool yourself. <sighs> well, I got that. I told you I got that red light camera ticket right sent to me. I just ignored it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard back from them. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for it. Every time that like, I see a flash... When I'm near an intersection, I'm uh-huh. like, oh, God, I'm getting another ticket. But nothing ever arrives. So Nice. That's yeah, good. We'll but anyway, yeah, it is definitely um, a prominent thing. And it's interesting. Like, um, Although I was thinking about it. It was, such, it was so prominent in the book that other ways that you would think to track people weren't used as much. I think tracking credit card transactions was, was mentioned maybe once or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there, you know, like... I think it was a little bit too heavily leaned on, but only very, very... And it could have just been um, because the cameras were so heavily used that it made me think, well, where's everything else? But maybe it was in there and I just was, you know... Mm-hmm. you know, It was a, 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 a perceived imbalance more than anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of that, I think, lends itself to the fact that, like, I mean, you know, you and I are not career criminals. We're just um, criminals of opportunity. <laughs> but man, even I know, like, if the police are after me, not to like swipe my debit card anywhere. You know what I mean? So I, I, I think at some point, if I was a cop and I'd be like, oh, this guy seems like a pretty smart criminal, I probably wouldn't waste a lot of time trying to track credit cards mm-hmm. just because it would seem that they would just know better. Right. So. I also learned that um, if I'm ever trying to avoid um, 
being detected that I should just show up on as many cameras as possible because that was like the thing that confounded them the most was like we have too much data yeah yeah and I thought that was interesting <laughs> I mean, here's the whole thing a lot of this book is very very thought out and you know I didn't read the synopsis for this if I would have I would have thought god damn it this is just going to be a huge mess and it's not you know, I mean, everything comes together in, in a in a nice, not necessarily orderly fashion, but you know, it's it, it's just one of those things that like the the plot lines are really well thought out. You know, the diversions, like you said, were very thought out and and, and intelligent. Um, you know, there's one point, and this is give away too much because it's one of the forty characters um, is is planning something, and and you know, they're showing up basically in different places just to throw them on to throw the police like they're like oh they scoped mm-hmm. out this place and they scoped out this place and they scoped out this place right basically just to spread the police thin on you know there's these 30 locations <laughs> that they might be planning something right. in you know what i mean so some of it was just really really intelligent and really thought out yeah that was good stuff the red herrings mm-hmm. can i also say that i don't know what kind of political I don't even know if political is the right word, but what kind of goddamn genius O'Shea is, like these connections he was making. And, and I don't know if this is stuff you, I don't watch the news, you know, but I mean, you know, tying, you know, Hezbollah with like <laughs> diamonds with a cartel and, and, you know, and doing all these things all seems like he's very well versed, kind of like in the first book, we talked about the, the mayoral stuff and, and being able to tie together a, a pretty extravagant story and have it all make sense like you have yeah. to have some knowledge some some good solid knowledge of the workings of of these types of organizations and in this case you know entire governments and stuff it's just i was very struck by how intelligently it was all put together i guess yeah you can't yeah you he, either he did a lot of research or he just kind of pays attention to and understands yep. the motivations and and interests of like foreign policy and war and and crime you know, international crime and everything for mm-hmm. sure yep. uh, way more than than i care to know mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it makes for uh very realistic reading indeed one more thing i'd like to bring up that i thought was kind of an interesting decision that i really appreciated in the in the first book lynch um begins uh dating a, a journalist whose name escapes me at the moment and uh, she reappears, but their relationship is very different in this book. And I kind of um, respected O'Shea for going in a different direction instead of having like the budding love interest mm-hmm. that you would expect. And, and I, I thought I saw it coming in this book with with a with a new person. Do you know what I mean? And then it, it I just it seems like every book like this needs to have a love interest, and there really wasn't one. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean, you had your love well. story, but it was with your kind of secondary or co mm-hmm. co protagonist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, like since Lynch is the uh, the the main character of, if mm-hmm. this ends up being an ongoing series, yeah, you would think that that would be consistently explored. But you're right; it was just something that um, it was. I, but it was nice because it was a very realistic. Um, extension of what would have happened next i liked it well it was yeah it was it was very it was addressed but it wasn't harped on so by mm-hmm. comparison um the the first um the the first dan brown book with what's his name as the character you know there's like this love interest then in the second one it's just kind of dropped right but then he's got another love interest that's mm-hmm. yeah pretty identical as far as like the character mm-hmm. like the shape of the character and everything yeah yep. Good job, Dan. We did not. We did not Dan Brown this book up. No, we didn't. <laughs> so I think we've probably talked as much story as as really we can. Um, there's just so much going on, and you know, we did our best to give you a little flavor of the different interests and stuff. But really, the the quality of the book is seeing how they interplay and how they eventually kind of all, um, you know tie together uh but there is something i want to mention that the original title of the book was mammon m-a-m-m-o-n um the first book being penance and this one being mammon and i'm one of those guys that doesn't really know a lot about religion and everything but um uh, i looked it up in, in mammon and actually there's a there's a there's a part in the book that that made me look it up because they were talking about um 
there was characters in the book talking about uh, Hardin having stolen these um, uh, diamonds, and that's why everybody, literally everybody, is out to get him is because he stole these diamonds. And someone says, yeah, the gravity of Mammon. And I was like, fine, what the hell does this mean? So I looked it up. Can't find anything that has, I couldn't, in my Livius Nedden level of, of Googling, um, <laughs> <laughs> find any kind of direct quotes or you know passages of, of something that, that says that. But um, Mammon, in the New Testament of the Bible, is material wealth or greed, most often personified as a deity and sometimes included in the seven princes of hell. Um, but essentially, so the gravity of, of Mammon, the quote from the book, essentially I'm, what I'm getting from it is like ye, the, um, the consequences of, of the theft were that he was being pursued and his life was in danger. I'm so much, I'm just happy that he went with greed instead of mammon as a title. A little more on the nose, a little more palatable. Mm -hmm. A little more accessible, which is something else I think we need to talk about. Um, We said this about greed. Uh, I'm sorry, we said this about penance. Um, And I'm going to say it again about greed. I'm actually going to read everybody the text message I got from Rob the other day. So Rob sent me this text after he was uh, 70% of the way through the book. It says, O'Shea may be our first mass market buddy. And uh, I, I think that that's, that's the thing with, with this series and his writing style. There's no reason this shouldn't be on like that front table at, at Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. It, it's really well-crafted. It's, um, it's, it's well-written. It's accessible. Um. And it has that that really widespread appeal. This is the kind of stuff that I think James Patterson wants to put out through his kind of weird secondary authors, and he misses <laughs> yeah. all the time. Maybe he, maybe O'Shea should be the the small name at the bottom of a James Patterson book. Maybe Patterson should be the small name at the bottom of an O'Shea book. Boom. Yeah, but then Patterson would yeah. write it, and we don't know if it'd be any good. That was a good point. Um, and really, what I meant by that text uh, is we love a lot of authors for a lot of different reasons. And sometimes the reason we love an author kind of excludes them from having an enormous market. Mm -hmm. Some people, the writing that they do is just so um, um, specific to a certain group that it's not going to have mass appeal. But Dan O'Shea and his books are written in a way that, that can be that, um, the one, the type of book that's consumed by the masses. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just it's very accessible to a very very wide audience of, of people, and uh, and the quality is 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 rock solid. You know, I mean, we read we've read a couple, but the 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 zoo zoo is that was called that James Patterson book yeah. we read. Um, yeah. One of the really early books we read, it's like episode two or three, had those really small like two and three page chapters. Which made the books go by real quick, but that didn't lend themselves necessarily to be high-quality books. This does the same thing. It's very fast-paced. The chapters are very, very short. There's, I think there's 100 chapters in this, what, 350-ish page book? 412. Yeah. 412, you know. So, you know, you're talking about four pages to a chapter, and it moves really quickly, but it doesn't lose any quality mm-hmm. uh, um, doing that. And that's, that's I imagine, got to be a little tricky. But O'Shea is super, super successful at pulling off a great book using, you know, a formula that I think much lesser authors use and are able to get themselves on the bestseller list. And I got to give it up. He didn't just like harp on everything that happened in the first book. Like he made passing references or tied in, in, you know, situations and, and characters that um, he needed for the story. But it wasn't like he was building on. Um, the success of a previous book. It was, you know, it was just another story that happened to the same character. So I thought he uh, approached the fact that there was already an existing story quite well. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's readable as a standalone. I don't think you For need sure. to read the first one. Right. Although I'm sure Dan O'Shea would insist that you read the first one as well. <laughs> <But> <laughs> um, you certainly don't need to to, to kind of get this book and stay with it. You want to do some quotes? Yeah, let's do some quotes. I have a ton of quotes. You know, I do too. So why don't you go ahead and go first? 
All right. I'm going to start this uh, with a quote that, for me, just demonstrates uh, how many different voices O'Shea writes in in this book. Because he's writing from the perspective of um, a Chicago police officer and a and a Middle Eastern hitman and uh, Mexican cartel people and so uh, mobsters. So he's writing in the voices of so many different people, and I think he pulled it off pretty well in every case. This is actually um, just like a random thought of a very lesser character, but I just like the voice of it and I like the sentiment. He'd heard people saying how they didn't understand how Tiger could step out on that, but Bobby Lee understood. It was the power of strange. World was full of nookie, man. And the nookie you got, that shit don't never take your mind off the rest of it. I like that. That's good. Um, this is from pretty early on in the book, and I thought this was... Uh, when I first read it, I kind of thought it was a little cheesy, and then I went back and read the passage again, and I the second time around, I really liked it. So I don't know exactly where to pick up here, so I'm just going to pick a sentence. Um, this is Harden talking about this uh, picture that was uh, that, that he has in his wallet. He'd know that picture was just a picture now, not a possibility anymore. The picture was the only thing he'd brought from Africa he really cared about, so why fuck that up? If a dream is all you've got, why piss on it? Harden shook his head, almost 50, and the only real relationship he'd had was with a wallet photo. Enough to make a guy think it was time to reevaluate his life choices. That's our one. Oh, nice. Well, wait, wait, that's one. There might be more. Probably there's going to be more. Yeah. Let's see if we got this next one. I, I noticed that with this book, um, I did a lot of like full paragraphs. So you'll have to excuse me if like the quotes go super long. This is a conversation about uh, why people get murdered. You got no fucking clue, do you? If Membe got killed over there, it wouldn't be because he was Membe. It would be the West African version of roadkill. Just mean he stepped out in front of the bullet. You guys and your motives shit. Most of this world, you don't need a reason to get dead. Could be his great-grandfather looked sideways at some asshole's great-grandmother 60 years ago, and the asshole was in the wrong tribe. Could be one of Taylor's former punks was sitting in a bar and couldn't remember whether he had a round in the chamber, so takes the shot to find out because it's easier than pulling the bolt back and checking. Could be anything at all, but whatever it is would be some dumbass trivial bullshit. People don't follow refugees across the Atlantic to kill them over dumbass trivial bullshit. They just kill whoever else is handy. I like that one a lot, too. I like that character, the one that actually talked about that. Yeah. It's good stuff. I thought this was a good example of some of the like kind of political background stuff that um, we were talking about. And I'm probably just going to cut this off because this is um, a few paragraphs long. So I'm just going to read until I get bored. Um, this is uh, Monroe uh, from, from Monroe's point of view. It's kind of going on in his head. Islam might be one big happy bowl of ragheads to your average tea party dipshit, but Monroe knew, knew better. Iran was Shia and... <laughs> With Iraq castrated, Iran was looking to consolidate its position as the top dog throughout the whole Shia crescent. Iran, Iraq, Azerbaijan, Bahrain, Lebanon, some real pull in Pakistan. Now you had Hezbollah throwing in with Assad in Syria, and it was hard to pick a dog in that fight. Sure, you had the same people in the Syrian opposition, secular types you could do business with, but you also had a pile of fundamentalists of the Sunni stripe. That was, it just goes on for like a couple paragraphs. It all makes kind of sense when you're reading it, but it's all kind of pretty deep stuff. Or another author might have just said, they're terrorists. <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> I have one that's, this is really short, but it's, uh, uh, one thing we didn't mention, um, we said that the Chicago surveillance was kind of a character. Chicago and the surrounding area is an enormous character in this book, and it is so well portrayed. It is very nice being a native. So at one point, Hardin, who has been in Africa for well over a decade, uh, goes to go to Marshall Fields uh, and and discovers that Marshall Fields no longer exists and it's been taken over by Macy's, which um, was an enormous, for people who don't live in or understand Chicago, Marshall Fields was like Chicago. Like it, it was such a huge part of the identity of the city that when it went away, it was it was huge. It was a very big deal. And, and this quote, I think, just really represents that very well. Fields was the sort of thing that felt permanent when you were a kid. Like Pluto being a planet. When I read that, I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
very good Chicago thing. I'm going to throw out another one really quickly, um, which <laughs> uh, just because it's a really quick quote. Uh, Lynch, Detective John Lynch, who we haven't talked about a lot, is just kind of thinking about all the different information he's got about the overall case and his investigations and everything he said. Um, and uh, this is a thought he has. Christ, Lynch would be happy if any of these things had anything to do with anything. This was like a goddamn random clue generator or something. Yeah, I had that one that one marked, too. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we didn't talk much about Lynch, and, and he's in here, and, and he's a good character. But a, a little bit he's overshadowed by, by a couple of the other people that we talked about. You know? So mm-hmm. yeah. even though this book might be his namesake, so to speak... Um, he's not bad in it. He's still really likable. <laughs> he's just kind of absent for good portions of it. So, um, here's another here's another um, Monroe uh, thought that he has. The war on drugs. What a crock! Anybody who wasn't looking at the drug problem through a political lens knew the answer. Legalize every goddamn thing the cartels wanted to sell. Drug prices would plummet, the cartel's revenue would dry up. Sure, they could try to go legit, but they wouldn't be having gunfights with each other anymore. They'd be having marketing fights with the cigarette people, the booze people, the Coca-Cola people, for all Monroe knew. And there'd be a whole new stream of sin tax revenue to put a dent in the deficit. But the tobacco-sucking, booze-swilling American electorate was convinced that Jesus didn't like drugs, not besides cigarettes and booze. That was really good. I love, and I've got so many quotes that do just that, like kind of... Mm -hmm really succinctly encapsulate what's so frustrating about so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is <laughs> this next one. Um, I just really dug uh, and I identified with this is Aldine uh, going into uh, like a bar or restaurant or something. As soon as he walked in the door, he could feel the emotional buzz of a group sharing some significant experience. Then there was a loud roar from the back of the room. Aldine turned. A basketball game, probably part of the college tournament he'd been hearing about all the, all week. This March Madness. The, <laughs> the team from the University of Illinois had progressed to one of the final rounds, and the game was on. I so identify with <laughs> that outsider-looking in, you know, sentiment mm-hmm. of seeing a bunch of people getting excited about something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to forego this next quote, but did you get the feeling, much like in the first one, that, that uh, Mr. O'Shea doesn't appreciate all the Chicago artwork? <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to start this one? All right. So this is uh, Harden um, kind of, again, reflecting on some things. Eliminate the uncertainties because that's when fear crept in. Fear, when you got down to it, was an idea, a thought, a shadow cast by the memory of pain and the promise of mortality. Nobody wasn't afraid, but you had to be clear on what you were afraid of and why. Dude, man, really great quotes from this book. Mm -hmm. I've got about a dozen more, but I just want to do one or two. Okay. Um, This quote, I think, is just the perfect description of what John Lynch is in the book for. Uh, This is Monroe, I think, thinking about things in general. Uh, Monroe knew about Lynch from the whole clusterfuck the year before. That guy was like Joe Frazier. Punch him in the head all day long, and he was just going to keep coming. Next thing you know, you've busted your... (laughs) Next thing you know, you've busted your hand on his skull all the while. He works on your body, cracking your ribs one at a time. That was very good. Yep. (laughs) I agree. I'm not going to do it. I have more, but I, I'm, I've exhausted my quote quota for the uh, for the episode. I'm going to do. I think I'm going to do one more. I'm going to do one more just because it ties back to me. <laughs> oh, and it's really all about that. Isn't it's it? really yeah. That's what it comes down to. And this is another Chicago centric thing. Um, this is for anybody who reads the book. Just um, a, a note on the authenticity of of. O'Shea's descriptions of places and and landmarks and things. Um, This is a random character that doesn't really matter too much, but um, he was being followed. Lewis leaving his townhouse in Printer's Row, hailing a cab. Couple shots of the cab, tracking it through town. Lewis gets out of the cab at Belmont and Broadway. Lewis walking north and west. Lewis ducking into the steam room. Later on, it is revealed that the steam room is a gay bathhouse. Um, I do live... (laughs) 
In a gay bathhouse? About three blocks north of that exact bathhouse. It's called, oh, that's uh, an actual bathhouse. Yeah, nice. it's called Steamworks. It's not the steam room. Uh, it's called Steamworks, and it is, uh, it's exactly, if you went to Belmont and Broadway and you walked north a block and west about a block and a half, you're pretty much right there. Is it so, a nice place? <laughs> I've never been in it. It looks nice from oh, the outside. Right. Okay, all right. <laughs> all right, so uh, it's about time to wrap this bad boy up, huh? Yeah, we're probably way past that. Go ahead. Um, this book, uh, to be no surprise, Rob had put a note in here that we each gave um, Penance five stars. Um, this book kind of takes me back to a lot of the fiction I read when I was considerably younger. So I read a lot of espionage, men's adventure type stuff. And uh, in this book, it, it just excels at exactly that. It's uh, it's just good, fun intrigue. Um, lots of angles, but they all come together pretty smoothly. Um, some really, really intriguing characters. I think more so this time around than with Penance. Um, I think it's a kind of bigger cast too, as far as not necessarily the number of people involved, but the the number of groups, interests, I guess that that are involved. But it all ties together um, really, really well. I'm, I'm again impressed by O'Shea's ability to to describe complex political situations um, to somebody who doesn't get politics like myself. Um, but I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, God damn, Soche's got to be a really smart guy. It's, I kept thinking that throughout the the, the whole book. <laughs> um, and, and I got to be a really dumb guy because outside of this book, like, I learned a lot about Hezbollah. I didn't even know what a Hezbollah was before this. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we we gave you uh, numerous examples of, of how you know either witty the writing was or how sharp it was. So I mean, it's just a goddamn complete package with this, and and it's it's just a crying shame that I'm not looking at the New York Times bestseller list and seeing this, you know, at like number eight or so. Um, I, I can't I can't give it anything but five stars. I actually liked it better than Penance. All right, I don't know what more I can add to what Livia said. Uh, I will try and stay brief. Really loved Penance and was looking forward to the next installment of the John Lynch series and nowhere even approaching considering the thought that it might have been a disappointment. It was such a good book. Um, and it's you can see growth, I think. Um, I mean, O'Shea's been a writer for a while, but Penance was his first novel, so this is his second novel. Um, and Penance was so meticulously put together and such a good story, but but this book, um, it's obvious that he's growing his skill as a storyteller because in Penance, I believe that it was very much all about John Lynch, uh, whereas in this book, he didn't really need to lean on such a heavy primary character as much because everybody in the book had their, their weight and their significance to them, so I, I really appreciated that a lot. Um, Story was tight, everything tied together well, characters were awesome. It was obvious he did a lot of research, or at least he told a convincing lie. Either way, the stories were, were fantastic, and um, dug the whole thing top to bottom, I'm going five stars. You know we're going to have another another um, book of his this year, right? Well... I don't know because we got that Bartholomew Daniels one, so uh, it might kick him off the uh, <laughs> the roster. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah so such a bad joke. for some reason, I'm not really sure why. Um, O'Shea also has two books coming out, um, starring William Shakespeare as a detective, also coming out from Angry Robot Books. But he chose to, for some reason, um, publish these under Bartholomew Daniels, and I don't think I'm outing any kind of secret here. I'm pretty sure it's shows up somewhere on the angry robot page um but yeah i mean it's this kind of writing and we're gonna throw it back to uh, an elizabethan court and uh throw william shakespeare in as a detective i don't see how we can't how we can't review that yeah we must i always thought see i thought that bartholomew daniels guy was anthony neil smith (laughs) i was wrong about that i guess (laughs) i'm thinking detective Oh, breaking break, breaking news! Red Hammond is Anthony Neal Smith. <laughs> um, any news about the football game? Um, still going. Um, right. The one team did something and made some points. All right. 
Very good. Actually, the whole game is a, is a, what appears to be a blowout at this point. It's um, oh, did I close the window? No, I didn't. It's forty three to eight. Oh, is it there, the? There, uh... there, there's been about twenty minutes of gameplay since we started this. Just so you know, <laughs> I don't know how they tell anyway. time in the NFL, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you get like a fifteen minute time or fifteen second timeout, and that lasts like nine minutes. I don't even. I don't understand. Like, there's like some sort of time warp going on. But anyway, well, at two point three million dollars or whatever it is for like a thirty second or sixty second spot or whatever, believe me, this is probably the longest game of the season by far. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So. Did the uh, did we get that booked commercial to this Super Bowl? Um, uh, you know, in? I I know I was supposed to send it in. Oh damn it! Did you forget? <laughs> Dude, told you to remind me. So don't don't worry about it, dude. Ne- next year, wait till next year. Next, yeah, next. Next. Damn year. it! One more year until we're super successful because of our. Super I know. Bowl ad. I know. We well, should do a Kickstarter to raise funds for a Super Bowl ad. What do you think about that? Um, I, I <laughs> if we're lucky, we would raise <laughs> enough money so that during like a Pepsi commercial, maybe you could be in the background in a booked shirt. Like that's <laughs> that maybe. <laughs> To pay for me to take time off and uh, fly yeah. to the commercial that's being recorded. If we're lucky. All right. To be an extra. Okay. You know what? Listen, though. Who needs commercials when you are a multi, multi award winning podcast? Whoa. Do we have some breaking news here? All right. So here's how this works. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't exactly breaking news, but here's what I figure. So the folks at This Is Horror were supposed to, I'd heard, we were told that probably by the end of the month so it's february 2nd so i can only imagine that any minute now the results are going to be out for the this is horror awards and here's what i was thinking if we do this you know and we just go oh hey you know we're still waiting for the awards look let's face it let's go ahead and accept our awards now Mm -hmm. that makes sense so that it's so that it's relevant tomorrow or tuesday or wednesday when the awards come out like where our people are listening are like oh hey these guys won these awards that's great they're being very courteous and giving their um acceptance speeches so we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna do that now all right um first up novel of the year all right, so uh, I I would like to say on behalf of Book Podcast, thank you to um, those of you who went ahead and wrote us in for Novel of the Year. We're glad to accept this award um, for uh, for for the novel that you guys nominated us for. That's I'm right. not really sure what it was, but um, thank you. We we appreciate that award. That's right, and we very much respect Stephen King, Joe Hill, mm-hmm. Benjamin Percy, Lauren Bukis, and uh, Graham Joyce, who we all whose asses we all destroyed. Yep, yep. So, uh, hey, better luck next year, guys. Maybe, maybe we won't have a novel out next year. (laughs) Up next, film of the year. Yeah, so film of the year. I didn't really think we would win this category (laughs) since we didn't actually make a film this year. Um, But I would like to say thank you to all the voters and to This Is Horror, um, all the voters that voted in and uh, and, uh, what's that called, a a, a write-in vote? Yeah, wrote in, yeah. Yeah, that that wrote in for uh, us for film of the year. So um, I'm looking forward to the sequel. Condolences to American Mary, Evil Dead, Maniac, The Seasoning House, and VHS 2. Now, I will say that it is kind of sad because I did see American Mary, and that was really, really good. But Mary um, apparently did not go out um, and, and, and ask for the vote. She didn't campaign at all. That's right. Up so. next, TV series of the year. Yeah, again, a shock <laughs> that, that we won TV series of the year. But I'd like to, I'd like to go ahead and thank um, This Is Horror. And I'd like to thank the, uh, the the listeners, the ones that wrote us in for TV series of the year. Um, I know, Rob, I'm sorry. I know that you're a huge fan of Hannibal. <laughs> yeah, this um, blew me away that we won this because uh, I, I, the, I the, love we Hannibal. Don't have a, and we don't have a TV series. It's crazy. <laughs> so, yet, um, yet. Let's uh, let's skip down a couple because okay. I don't. Some of these don't even make sense. Graphic novel of the year. I can't draw to save my life, mm-hmm. so I don't know how we got that. But thank you. Um, so here's the one that we didn't win so short story collection of the year congratulations to I'm assuming David James Keaton won this I'm assuming so too yeah but I think that we should go ahead and and thank the voters because I mean without us what is David James Keaton right so we'll take credit for this one too exactly short fiction of the year we all I mean we didn't have a chance against Stephen Graham Jones in this category I'm assuming he won that yeah, I would. I would have to assume so. Okay. Now, anthology of the year. Listen, 
here's what happened. Ellen Datlow probably would have taken us out, but the vote got split because she had two books in it, which is just stupid. Yeah, that so was a short-sighted Ellen. Yeah. Cameron Pierce, I want to apologize to you, a friend of the show. I'm sure that uh, the fiction inspired by David Lynch collection, In Heaven, um, Everything is Fine, was terrific. But, dude, we had Fred Venturini. We did. And yeah. we had Cameron Pierce. So even if he, you know, even even Cameron, you won anyway. He won way, anyway. Won. You're so, a winner. Yep. So, yep. Thanks to everybody um, for uh, for uh, voting for us for Anthology of the Year. We, we graciously accept this award. Super excited about that. What about Publisher of the Year? Well, this is a no-brainer. Why we weren't on the list is beyond me, because we had the Anthology of the Year nomination. That's a good point. We were the publishers. So um, thanks for writing us in for Winners of Publisher of the Year. We appreciate it, and uh, thanks for your uh, your continued support. <laughs> All right, we could, we could skip some of these, right? Let's, yeah. talk, let's talk about the important one. Yeah. Podcast of the Year. <laughs> it warms my heart, and I'm being very, very sincere here, to accept uh, our second year of Podcast <laughs> of the Year. Um, you know, it was a new category last year, mostly because the awards were new. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's really heartwarming to know that you guys reached out and that we were able to beat out Horror, etc., Pseudopod, Tales to Terrify, again, and uh, the House of Horror podcast. So, guys, yeah. listen, mm-hmm. um, just bring better content next year. What can That's I say? Right. It's just, yeah, so uh, thank honored. you again. Absolutely yeah, honored. Absolutely honored. So thank you. This is Horror. Um, thank you, book listeners. Um, thanks, Mom, for voting multiple times. Um, we appreciate it. We love you guys. So That's thank right. you. Absolutely. And finally, we don't want to look past the Tattoo Artist of the Year category. That is correct. Again, um, this one uh, a little odd since Rob and I have neither uh, neither of us have ever given a tattoo, but we've gotten some tattoos, right? That's right. I have. And there's an art to sitting still while you're doing that. I, I am. I'll tell you what. I contributed to the design of my tattoo, so in a way, I'd like to consider myself a tattoo artist. Yeah. Well, and obviously, this is horror now recognizes you as such. That's so right. congratulations. Thank you very um, much. And, and very you. very surprised, but very honored. Mm-hmm. Yep. Much much like David James Keaton. I mean, we swept the awards basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, next year they're actually going to be called the This Is Booked Awards, <laughs> and you guys will get to just write us in for everything. So we'll come up with some. Uh, maybe over the course of the year, we'll come up with some new categories that you can uh, vote us in for. That's right. That's right. Well, again, um, it's just so gratifying to win every award that the This Is Horror Awards yeah. was offering, um, even the ones we didn't mention, um, and even the ones we didn't win. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So um, thanks again, guys. It's terrific. Um, you don't have to just send one plaque that just says everything on it. You guys don't have to worry about the shipping us you know, individual plaques to each of us for all 12 categories. Yeah, don't put yourself out, guys. We know how no. good we are. Yeah, well, actually, you know cool. what? I love recognition and I love validation. Yeah. So if you really want to go through the effort, I'll take it. That's fine. So good. That's it. It's taken care of till next year. We've got 11 months or 10 months or so before we have to discuss the This Is Horror Awards again. So I feel pretty good about that. Resting on our laurels a little. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what a laurel is, but I'll lay all over it. So. <laughs> My laurels are very well rested upon. Um, someone's not resting on their laurels, though. A uh, person that we've done reviews on in the past has a new collection out. Chris Deal. So we've talked a lot about Broken River books over the last six weeks or so. Yeah, still waiting um, on that check, by the way, J. David Osborne. Yeah. Um, but yesterday, um, a little early, I believe, on the Kindle, Incarnations from Chris Deal. His new collection is out. I have already read three of the stories. Get out of here. I was very excited about the, to see that available. So Chris is a terrific short story writer. He also a winner because he was in the booked anthology. That's right. Congratulations, um, Chris. Yep. Um, and uh, our uh, the story that he has in the booked anthology is also in Incarnations. Oh, nice. So he's lucky we don't sue the shit out of him because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he sent that in before the contract was up. But <laughs> it's cool because Chris is, Chris is a good guy. So um, I strongly encourage people to pick this up. It's only two ninety nine on the Kindle. The paperback version is forthcoming. But it is in the works. It is. Hey, the first story has a, has a shout-out to the editor of the booked anthology. There's a character named Pela in it. Oh, yeah, definitely should Although think. she's a crazy lesbian um, homewrecker. So. Well, that doesn't sound anything like her. No, she's based loosely. Loosely. On, uh, name yeah. In name only. Yep. Um, should should give a shout-out to Pela, though, for being such an excellent editor and for, for giving our book any shred of uh, professionality and good looks and, and stuff that it has to it. 
Yep. Because we won all these awards. So obviously right. it's, it's, yep. she is. Well, we should have just had everyone write in for editor of the year. Yeah, that's a good point. Not only are we writing ourselves in for categories, we're writing in categories. Now. <laughs> <laughs> we noticed there is no category for editor or editor of the year. So I'm going to go ahead and make my nominations. That's right. Retro in in uh, retroactively, uh, Pela won editor of the year for the This Is Horror Awards. Yep. And so. it sounds like they're already celebrating in Chicago. <laughs> Chicago, it's they're whooping it up. Yep. Uh, we got anything else? Yeah, we forgot to mention it this week. So Facebook, now that we're uh, now that we're making big, big money off this podcast, um, they've uh, they've screwed us on the booked page. You want to explain the the ins and outs of this, Rob? Because I don't really get it. So um, I don't understand exactly the reason behind it, and I don't understand exactly when it started. But um, now, if a page like the booked page posts uh, makes a post that has a link attached to the post it, it cuts down the number of people that sees it to almost nothing so um, to like one percent yeah to less than that so like let's say right now we're almost at like 600 likes on our page maybe maybe the post with a link in it gets to like the double digits there's it just throttles it down to almost nothing um i'm not sure exactly why but every time our uh podcast posts a new episode it automatically posts in Facebook with a link to that episode. And nobody gets to see that now because Facebook is being really weird. And the police that are outside my building are also very upset about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may have missed some recent posts from us because of this. The way to, to get around this, the way to fix that issue, at least until Facebook is not a giant bag of dicks, is... Um, <laughs> is to uh, <laughs> request to join, if you haven't already, the Book Podcast listening group. When we post uh, when we post something in there, I believe um, it goes to everybody's feed, no matter what, yes. right? If you're in yes. a group, you see the post mm-hmm. eventually. So um, that's, that's a, we'll make sure that we post, you know, every episode in there so that you'll see that it's up. Now, we will be doing some non-link posts from the book page from, you know, more frequently now. Um, just to kind of give you a nudge and remind you that there's some stuff out there. But your best bet to make sure you get as much um, updated content information from us is to, to join the Booked Podcast listening group. Um, there are several hundred people in there already. Uh, so just keep joining up and, and we'll make sure that we have all the information for not only episodes and stuff, but also any other stuff we have going on. AWP is coming up, so you're probably going to get dispatches from me from up in Seattle about that as well. And don't forget Twitter. Booked podcast, another way to get your updates on new episodes. That's right. Speaking of new episodes, uh, we're we're gonna take a, we're gonna take it easy for a week, huh? That's what Livius thinks. It's never easy. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. For us, taking it easy is we're gonna do three interviews. <laughs> so this started um, a year and a half ago with our first three author um, interview episode, and and they've been very successful. So we're continuing that tradition this week. Uh, I can only mention two of the authors, as we don't have confirmation from a third yet, mostly because we didn't ask. So, <laughs> Funny um, how that works. <laughs> here's, yeah, I can't believe that we don't have confirmation on this interview yet. But we do have confirmed for um, next week, Tony McMillan, author of Nefarious Twit, will be joining us. Um, and so will Armand Rosamilia, um, who may or may not be familiar to our listeners, but if you listen to Books, Beer, and Bullshit, he's a frequent guest on there. And he's actually going to be coming on to promote something really, really cool that he's doing. So as much as this is for uh, readers, um, writers will want to uh, to tune in to, to hear us talk to Armand Rosamilia. Um, other than that, we're going to have a third guest. Come hell or high water, might be David James Keaton. Uh, filling in for the guests that we never asked um or <laughs> who knows who knows what's going to turn up but three authors um uh, next week so it'd be one of those long ones i think right is that what happens yeah usually they those we always tell them we got 15 minutes with you and then it's like 30 minutes with each, with each author so well it's because they start saying happens. interesting things and we can't just cut them out so right yeah that's that's the the key to our excellent um interviews is that we just we figured out early on hey if they talk we don't have to 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Telling you, outsourcing this bad boy. Right. Can I mention one bit of sad news? Mm-hmm. It seems that uh, uh, Sirius XM has gotten rid of their book channel. Um, you mean that place where they just played audiobooks all the time? Yeah, apparently they had some shows on there because they're like, oh, <laughs> they're like, but we, but we still, we we still want to keep our dedication to you know to to readers and, and listeners of book stuff. So on these like eighteen different stations, like we just parted out some of the shows that we had on there. So, but yeah, death to book radio is what uh, what happened. Uh, apparently, this happened a few months ago. I just found out about it today, so it's news to me. That's some bullshit. That is some bullshit. So I will continue to not be a subscriber now to SiriusXM for this very reason. Here's how I found out. Once in a while, for some reason, I get free satellite radio. <laughs> so today I checked. I was like, oh, I wonder if I get free satellite radio again. I was like, oh, it's there. So I went to go look up the book station to see what they were doing. You know, basically to steal material for our own show. And uh, it, it's just not there. So I did some some Googling and uh, I found out that it was uh, it was canceled. Well, the station. Uh, thinking about it. They they had to be com- continuously losing listeners to us. So I mean, the wise move would have been they should have just bought us out. Yeah, but um, apparently that's not the road they chose to go down. Yeah, Maybe it's because we never thirty five like, bucks they could have had it. They you know what? Maybe they sent an email through the contact form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 possible. <laughs> so, but uh, come back next week. Three authors, two for sure. With third mystery author, but uh, it's uh, it's gonna be a good one. And don't forget, book listening group. That's right. Until next week, I'm Rob Olson, and I'm Lydia Snedden. Keep reading. Bye.